Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the second in a series of four Beef Watch webinars focused on stalker and yearling management. These Beef Watch webinars happen each Tuesday during the month of February, and today we're talking about the February 9th webinar focused on winter rate of gain and market timing in yearling systems. To discuss this, I'm joined today by the co-presenters, Dr. Mary Janowski and Dr. Jay Parsons. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Yeah, I appreciate it. In this webinar, you focused on research done at the University of Nebraska, looking at different rates of gain through the winter, also then tracking how those cattle performed in the summer, and also looking at market timing in terms of when those cattle were marketed. Share with us the research that went into this and also some of the things you learned as you look at these different management systems and what are some of the principles that will have application for producers? Okay, Aaron, I think I'll kind of start off and just give a little bit of a background um, about what we were really trying to evaluate. And it really um, came out of a meeting that we had with uh, some stocker producers or yearling producers and um, the questions that they were asking, which seemed to keep revolving around, you know, what's the optimum rate of gain in the winter? And then um, when should we be marketing these cattle? And consistently they kept asking questions about July and September. So that's kind of what we tried to model. We wanted to look at, you know, if we, sh if we targeted a higher rate of gain, in this case, we looked at two pound a day in the winter uh, versus a slower rate of gain. In this case, we targeted about 0.8 pound a day. And then we looked at when we marketed them either in July and September, you know, what the results would be. So to do that, we went back and looked at some research data that we already had uh, where we had cattle that were grown at different rates in the winter. So those two rates. And then we looked at how they performed on grass in the subsequent summer. And that's what we used to model the data. So a couple key things for people to understand is that if you got a slow rate of gain in the winter, they will compensate some in the summer and have a faster rate of gain on the same grass as cattle um, that maybe have a faster rate of gain in the winter, they're going to gain a little bit slower in the summer. And then the other thing that you need to understand is that if you market in July uh, versus September, in terms of cattle performance um, in July, the forage quality in that um, early summer is much greater than in the late summer. So the gain, the rate of gain uh, for cattle marketed in July is actually faster over that uh, shorter summer period than if you market in September. So that's kind of the assumptions that uh, we base things off of. And I think one other small thing that uh, is important to understand is that a lot of people think that smaller cattle, like so those who are undergoing compensatory growth because they didn't gain as well in the winter, they're going to eat less um, in the summer. And that's not actually true. So if you look at the difference in intake of cattle undergoing compensatory gain versus those who gained greater previously and so now are not undergoing compensatory gain, they actually consume about the same amount of forage. The smaller cattle who are compensating actually eat more on a percentage of body weight. So we assumed um, the same, basically the same rate of intake and charged the same amount. Uh, per head per day for grass, regardless of whether they were bigger or smaller going into the summer. 
Mary, as you look at the different wintering phases, were these wintering modeling done looking at a backgrounding phase with a crop residue winter range? Are we looking at cattle in a grow yard? What was kind of the situations as we think about what the model was looking at in terms of the program that was used? Oh yeah, that's a great question, Aaron. Um, we modeled uh, the cattle going out corn residue for about 127 days and then coming in and being fed hay and a little bit of distillers for um, that early spring period for about 91 days before going to grass. So a couple key things there probably that people want to um, consider is that we assumed on the corn residue that we would charge about 56 cents per head per day while they were out there grazing. And then we added on top of that essentially the costs for distillers and mineral. I think the key thing for producers to understand about the difference between the fast rate of gain and the slow rate of gain during that winter is that you do have other costs other than just that supplement. And in fact, the supplement doesn't make up all that great uh, of a percentage of the costs. And in our system on the fast rate of gain, we on average had about $200 uh, per head on wintering costs and about $50 of that was actually the distillers, if that makes sense. So the slow rate of gain still had about $150 in cost. So a large proportion of those costs are really kind of fixed costs of owning the cattle, so to speak. Jay, as you looked at the different costs, as we looked at these different systems and then tracked them on through the summer, how do these compare? What are some key things we need to think about as we think about slow rate of gain versus fast rate of gain? And also think about compensatory gain for those cattle that were on that slow rate of gain. How did you put these together and how did you look at comparing these two different systems? Yeah, so we, we had, uh, we went and gathered price data for like 18 years uh, on cattle price data, the, gra the price of grass, what it was renting for, and then, and then the different feedstuffs involved with the, the winter feeding in particular. And just basically compared uh, what we'd see over times in terms of profitability at these different uh, potential sale points. And, and um, you know, easy principles that we're used to seeing, and that is, you know, if you take the risk of holding the cattle longer, you can generally increase your profits. And that was, that was the uh, case with the uh, fast growth winter diet in particular. Um, and then you mentioned compensatory gain, and uh, the tricky part there is, is if you don't push them as hard through the winter, then you pretty much need to commit to keeping them out onto grass to, to gain those benefits of that compensatory gain. So, so less than half the time you would make money, for example, on a slow growth diet through the winter if you were to sell them in February based off the price data. Uh, but you'd recapture a lot of that and catch up and actually pass the fast growth diet in terms of profits um, if you were looking at selling in July. And primary reason you would pass the fast growth is just the weight of the animal in July is 100 pounds lighter on the uh, slow growth winter diet versus the fast growth winter diet. And so you're capturing some price slide benefits there in July. Um, so those are some of the key pieces that come out of that in terms of what your targets are. So um, and then if, if you kept them on through September, which was the last uh, sale point that we looked at, uh, it makes sense on the fast growth diet to go ahead and, because you've already passed through some key price slide points there at a thousand pounds in particular, to go ahead and keep them out on grass. And uh, your cost of, of production is, is low enough that you can make money on that uh, additional gain there. Uh, whereas with the slow growth, you that price slide um, 
that you have to pass through if you keep them and put another 100 pounds on them. There's it, it pretty good penalty to that and quite a bit of risk involved if you chose to do that. So, so it really makes a difference on when you think you might want to sail, how much flexibility you want in that sale date. And then, uh, and then of course, if you're not looking for that flexibility and you're willing to lock yourself into that uh, midsummer sale point, then the slow growth diet becomes pretty competitive as an option. As you look at these two systems, obviously there's some strengths and weaknesses to each. As you think about the principles and as they apply to producers in Nebraska, what are some key things you think folks need to think through and evaluate as they consider their own system and think about which of these two systems might be the best fit for them or, or some combination of those? Certainly the amount of grass that they have available, how consistent I guess that is in their production, you know, um, and uh, whatnot. I, I would think that would enter into it in terms of where they want to target their sales state to that. And one thing I need to mention too is, you know, we've had fairly volatile cattle markets in the last 10 years. We, if you just look at the last 10 years and how far it's gone up and how far it's gone down in a given year, and, and you really cannot lose track of that because it's somewhat counterintuitive in terms of thinking, well, we have high prices, I can make money on cattle. But if you're coming into one of these systems in the fall, say that, you know, that you're looking at the fall of 2014, for example, and you're buying cattle into or putting cattle into a system like this at that point, there's a lot of downside price risk involved with that. And um, so that's something really to pay attention to if you're working your way through these systems from a financial protection standpoint is don't just look at where prices are at, but look at where they may head. And these systems work really well in a very stable market situation, right? Um, you know, where you know that you're going to uh, keep that relationship between the weights and prices pretty steady. Cost of production wise, you can do pretty decent on these systems. But uh, that price volatility is not something to ignore uh, from a financial standpoint. Risk management, Jay, also is a key piece to think about as you think about your production systems then. Is that correct? It, it is correct. And, and you, you know, you want a good bang for your buck in terms of that management. And, and sometimes we tend not to go look for price risk management tools until the price has already dropped. Um, so you really need to be diligent when you're looking at uh, paying relatively high prices for cattle or, or even if you're retaining, right, you're foregoing sales at that point. Um, you know, you really need to look at, at protection on the price side of that and, and the timing of that as you continue on through these different phases. So one of the things that I think is, is interesting, and, and we did not model drought situations, for instance, uh, but you know, thinking about coming out of last year, one of the nice things about having a yearling system, especially as a part of a cow-calf system, right, is that flexibility. And I think you know, the flexibility to be able to get out early uh, if, say for instance, grass is a little short. And in that case, I don't know whether it, it makes more sense to go with the fast system because if I think about like February sales, and in fact, you're probably not going to make that decision until maybe May, right? When you look at what the rainfall is telling you and say, okay, maybe grass might not be as, as available this year. And I'm going to get out a little bit early with my yearlings to be able to keep my cow herd intact. Um, the fast growth system probably ends up helping you out from the standpoint of you had a lower cost of gain in that winter period, which means you don't have to overcome as much difference as quickly. So it's one of those things. I also think about flexibility in 
and where do you want to be uh, based off of your ability to make changes and make decisions as you move along uh, throughout the year. Yeah, Mary brings up a really good point on the flexibility thing, especially pertaining to the fast growth winter diet, because it does provide a lot more jumping off points, I would say, you know, uh, it, whether the grass isn't there or you're worried about the markets or just for whatever financial reasons or management reasons you need to need to adjust. So very few years in there, once you get past that uh, winter feeding period where you don't make money, at least some that you're in the, in the positive, no matter where you jump off. And, um, and that's something not to discount, I guess, is, is the main point there. But certainly there's, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, slow growth animals through the winter and, and really uh, take advantage of that compensatory gain in midsummer sales point and make it work. And so that's, that's obviously one of the paths people can be on. It doesn't have quite as much flexibility built into it though, in that, in, in some regards. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, we, we've been talking about uh, this one's better than that one in this instance or that instance, but Jay, you made a huge point there, which is other than getting out really early, like in February and using the slow growth, the rest of them are pretty much positive, right? And it's just a matter of how positive those, um, those systems were on average. Um, so all of them actually looked pretty good um, some of them look better than others, depending on when you were going to market. Aaron, the other thing I would say is, you know, we're researching this with, you know, pretty narrow focus, I guess, on just looking at differences and producers really have, there's nothing, nothing more powerful than a decision and producers really have that power in terms of things like stocking rates and stuff like that. Uh, Cause we were just looking at this on a per head basis. And of course, how they manage their uh, animals and their range combined uh, could make a big difference on how their system really works and and the flexibility they have in that system. So, so when I say the light growth or the slow growth winter one doesn't have as much flexibility, that's within the scope of what we looked at. Producers could build flexibility into a system like that in their own in their own ways, um, and we don't want to discount that at all. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because from my perspective. Uh, some modeling like this, looking at this really provides producers with information and maybe some thought process, some concepts to think through and then think about their own production system. Think about how does this apply for me? Is there an opportunity I haven't considered or, or maybe is there a challenge in my system that I haven't really recognized before and how could I overcome that? So I would say this is not a prescription of here's what you need to do to be successful in a stalker yearling system but really more about here are principles to think through and evaluate how they might apply to your own system. Would that be accurate? Well, Oh, that's, Oh, go ahead, Mary, if you want. I was just, I'd say Aaron, that was very well said um, that this is, it's just really something to help them start thinking through some of the options and, and how that, how, what we did needs to be modified to account for their systems. Yeah. It's very well said. Yeah, and what I was going to add to that, and you brought it up earlier when, you know, right off the bat when you mentioned the compensatory growth, and I mentioned taking advantage of that, you, you don't, I mean, it's a simple principle, you don't want to create value without capturing. <laughs> and that's that's one of the basic principles there. So there's a lot of different ways that you can build flexibility and to capture, capture some of those values, but you certainly don't want to set an animal up 
for uh, a big boon in compensatory growth and just give that away or force, put yourself in a position where you're forced to give that away. Jay, Mary, anything else on this topic that you think would be of value to our listeners as we point towards wrapping this up? Well, one thing I would say, um, the presentation uh, for this that we gave on the webinar, of course, is avail- it will be available on YouTube. And so it's called Economics of Yearling Systems. Um, so people can go take a look and be able to see some of the numbers for themselves. And there's also a beef report, which has even more uh, information in it uh, that they can find on the beef uh, website. If, if they just Google economics of yearling systems, it'll probably pop up for them. So if they want to kind of dive in, look a little bit more at our assumptions so they can start making the changes based off of uh, their particular operation, um, I think that would be a good place to start. Yeah, the only thing I will add is that we don't pretend to have all the answers. And uh, probably a bigger frustration is we don't have all the questions either. So if you have questions, <laughs> shoot them our way. Let us know things you're trying that maybe uh, you wonder about if they're working or why they're working or maybe they're not working. Because uh, we, we're always happy to visit with people and, and find out what you're really what you're dealing with in the real world so we can think that through and see how maybe we can work that into some of our projects and and help you answer those questions. Mary Jay, I really appreciate your work on this. Again, I think it takes into practice some of what we talk about in terms of animal science and management. It looks to apply some economics and and some marketing to that. And I think that's really valuable as we think about these kind of systems and trying to understand what's happening. So thanks for your efforts in doing this. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's very enjoyable. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. Again, the presentation was from the Tuesday, February 9th Beef Watch webinar series, and that can be found at the beef.unl.ed website.